Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Food Chat, Food Chat Radio and Podcast is about all things food. We talk to ranchers, farmers, people that own food processors, chefs, and today on our show, we have a local distillery. Alistair Brogan is here to join us. And hey, Alistair, welcome to the show. And we have Chef Jackson with us. Oh, uh, thanks very much. Thanks for the invite, Jackson. Great. Let's just uh, jump right in. And uh, people wonder, well, why are we talking to a, a, a person that makes uh, spirits? And we'll talk to you about which ones you make and why you make them. But, uh, you know, it is a food product. It is uh, made from agricultural products. So you can talk to us about the process a little bit later. But let's just jump right in with the first question. And then Chef Jackson will ask the second one. Uh, it's about uh, how you started. I mean, and why... Why the distillery business of all businesses? Oh, but I'll try and be short. Similar story to a lot of people who are in the whiskey space here in the U.S. I had a passion for whiskey, and that's where it really started. And yes, by my accent, I'm not from uh, uh, Colorado. I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. And a little bit background, I served 10 years in the military in the U.K., 15 years in business, and then... My wife and I, and my wife happens to be an American, uh, we decided to move to Colorado and uh, to bring our children up, uh, who were both actually born in Scotland. And I wanted to make the very best American single malt whiskey I could. So um, we came across to Boulder, and Boulder for whiskey making, Colorado for whiskey making, is spectacular for lots of reasons that we can go into later on. Um, and uh, I brought a still with me from Scotland, started making a single malt, but the hobby very quickly turned into full, full time. And now we produce uh, American single malt whiskey and bourbons. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. That that sounds great. Thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, Alistair, uh, Chef Jackson Lamb here. Thank you so much for joining us on our show. Um, Pleasure. You know, so what makes your products different than than, products? your competitors and you know again it is amazing how when we look at spirits it is really an agricultural product what do you use um where do you get your grains from that'd be very interesting to know and uh, anyway if you can share that with us that'd be great yeah absolutely jackson and um, nice to meet you um yes it's an agricultural uh, product i mean there's only four main ingredients in in uh, almost all whiskies, and that is uh, grain. Um, there's grain, there's water, there's yeast, and then you would you would even include the barrel in itself, uh, and that is an American oak barrel. So there's only four main ingredients, and then there's two major influencers: the the still that you use, and the climate, which is very unique in in Colorado. So as far as the grain is concerned, we source our grain. Uh, a lot of it is local, but at the moment, I'm sourcing some of my grain uh, from Europe. Uh, the malted barley is brought in from Europe because American distilling doesn't use 
malted barley as a flavoring to most of whiskies. So if you think of a bourbon or a rye, they may have 5% malted barley. The malted barley in the U.S. tends to be uh, for made for beer. So there's different protein levels, different sugar levels, and different yields, and also different flavors depending on where you're, you're picking that grain from, whether it be Wyoming or Montana. But we're working with uh, a couple of local uh, malting houses to try and resolve that, that, that issue. Um, but absolutely, it's, a, it's a, uh, an agricultural product. Uh, our corns are, are, are local, our uh, very small amount of rye we use is local, uh, and then we've got the spectacular water from Colorado. Very good. Yeah, you know, uh, I will say that you've been in Colorado how long now? I've been, personally, I've been here about 10 years. Uh, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I was sharing with uh, Greg uh, earlier, 30 years ago, there were no distilleries. And, you know, all of a sudden, we have become the mecca for distilleries. You know, I think Stranahan's might have been the first one to get going about 25 years ago. But uh, it's fantastic that we have really turned Colorado into um, getting away from the beer market and, and getting into the specialized spirits market. Fantastic. So thank you for doing such a great job there. Greg, I'll throw it yes. to you. Hey, Alistair, I so much enjoyed getting to know you. It's funny, we're both from the Denver area. You're in Boulder, but I live in Denver and grew up here. But I didn't meet you in Colorado. I actually met you at a food show in London. We work side by side. I'm promoting Colorado beef, and you're promoting your uh, spirits there in London. Then where do we run into each other again? China. We're doing a food show in China, and we bump into each other at the airport. We're heading to the same food show. So we got to work side by side. That was kind of funny. It is, and you know, Colorado is great. The agricultural department are great in trying to promote uh, Colorado agriculture, uh, food, and spirits. Uh, you know, they're great at that. Uh, yeah, it is funny. Well, and now and the, we're on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, now we're doing a podcast and radio show. Well, I really enjoyed when I got back. I didn't come see your beautiful operation uh, right away, but I was there about a year ago, and you gave me a wonderful tour. And I know you love to do tours. And I would like you to type of equipment you use as an equipment, because I know some of your your equipment, if I remember, is is imported. And and let's like, you know, people were on the radio here, so no video component, but maybe you could kind of walk our listeners through your first and give that tour here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Greg. So, you know, as I was saying earlier, there's not much ingredients in, in, in a, a single malt whiskey. And there isn't many distilleries that are actually making single malt whiskey. And you know, on, uh, uh was one of the first distilleries in Colorado, and they actually, their whiskey is a single malt whiskey. And since then, I think there's 120 uh, uh, distilleries now in Colorado. And one of the reasons I'm thinking, I apologize, but one of the, the, the great things about Colorado is we have got a spectacular water uh, that can really match up to any water in the U.S., uh, that really does have a massive impact on the whiskey, any whiskey. And secondly, we have got, um, because of that huge swings in temperature in Colorado, we've seen a huge swings in temperature makes uh, the barrel uh, breathe a lot faster. And it sucks that you make spirit into the, that char filter uh, in and out almost 
than you would do at, say, sea level in, in a normal uh, climate. And as a result, we get a lot of uh, evaporation, but as a result, we get a very unique whiskey. So few ingredients. We don't actually need a lot of equipment. Uh, yes, we, uh, what we call mash turn is where we add the hot water to the grain, like the sugars that we then put into the fermenter, yeast eats the, the sugars and creates ethanol. So for your beer listeners, they're very familiar with that. The only thing we don't do is add hops. So we actually, single malt whiskey is, in effect, uh, unhopped beer distilled twice. And the piece of equipment that I absolutely insisted on when I started this, and that was the only way I was going to go, was an a pot still it's very different from a lot of the stills that are used in, in the U.S. Uh, you tend to find in the U.S. column stills are used because of the grains, i.e. Uh, the, the, the rice, the wheats, and the, the corns. These are big flavored uh, grains. Malted barley requires, how can I say it, a little bit more love and attention. So we, do, we slow everything down so that the flavours of that malted barley can really maturate into the water that's present during the distillation process. So the still that I bought, uh, brought across, uh, was from Forsyth and Rothis. It's up in Scotland. And they're one of the very few uh, pot still uh, makers in the world. And they make, they make pot stills for most of the single malt whiskey industry throughout the world. Not just Scotch, because, you know, there's some phenomenal single malt whiskeys coming out of Japan, uh, Tasmania, Australia, all sorts of places. So the pot still was really important. And what we can also do with a pot still is design it in such a way you can you can uh, influence the flavour and taste. The column stills of America are very industrial, very continuous, um, and they create a really clean spirit. But a pot still with malted barley creates more flavorful whiskey and we wanted a whiskey that was going to be a flavorful but also heavy and why i say a heavy whiskey is because america is the only country in the world that has got a law to say that whiskey i.e uh, bourbons rice uh wheat whiskies have to go in new charred oak barrels whereas the rest of the world tends to use second fill barrels so I wanted a heavy whiskey to be able to compete with that uh, that new oak uh, because whiskeys can eventually get a little bit, uh, how can I say it, oaky and tanniny, and that's not what I wanted. Thanks for explaining that. <laughs> I I uh, enjoyed listening to you, and I had forgotten some of what you told me on the tour. I do remember that impressive pot still that you're talking about. What a beautiful piece of and it's huge. It's not a small thing. It's just beautiful. It's a work of art. Uh, and then I'll have Jackson ask you next about the, the different products that you uh, make. But uh, what? how long does it take to make, for example, your, your single malt whiskey? I don't want to ask anything proprietary or top secret, no, no. But, but anything that you're willing to share about, like how long the process takes? Yeah, the, the process, um, and it is a process. I mean, the process, it takes you know, a day to extract the sugars from the grain. It takes a day to um, strip, uh, do the first distillation, which is the water, uh, taking as much water as you can out of that, uh, that in, in essence, beer. And then it takes another day uh, to um, sort of refine that to your product where you're um, putting in the barrels. 
Now, all these things can be run concurrently. So you could be doing, a, you know, a mash, a spirit run, and a uh, sorry, strip and a spirit run in the same day. So it's a, it's a production line, um, as far as that's concerned. Um, but we can, you know, we can do, uh, if, if you started from scratch, it would take you a week to make a barrel of whiskey because the fermentation time for us is just over two days. Great. Thank you. I love that. So, Alistair, you, you've shared with us so much information so far. <laughs> Can we drill down and share with us specifically what is in your product line and what's your best seller? Great question. Um, so we, we really focus on, on two aspects of, of whiskey. Now, we do actually, we started, as a lot of distilleries do, uh, started off making gins, uh, liqueurs. And, you know, in Colorado, there's some phenomenal gins and liqueurs. Um, and most of us then, most distilleries then want to start laying down barrels. And we've now passed that point where we've got uh, a stock, we've got enough stock, we're selling on the market. But there was two whiskies that I really wanted to focus on. Well, actually, that's not true. I only wanted to focus on one whiskey, which was American single malt whiskey. That was my passion. But I quickly realized, very quickly, there's a commercial aspect of uh, making, making, uh, doing what I do. And uh, I was going to, I mean, wanted to do a bourbon. So uh, I've got a bourbon and I've got a single malt. But we've got wines in both of them. So let's take the bourbons. So the big unique difference between our bourbon and really anybody else's bourbon is bourbon to be bourbon it has to be 51% corn. It has to go into new oak barrels and it has to be distilled under 160. Um, our mash bill, which is the combination of grains, uh, is very high malted barley. So we've got 51 corn, kick, we're a bourbon, 44 malted barley. American distilleries tend not to use malted barley as a flavour into their, their bourbons. But I wanted to use the flavoring for, because my palate is more uh, the, the single malt side rather than um, the heat and sweet of high corn uh, bourbon. So it calms that heat and sweet down a little bit. So we've got that bourbon. Uh, we also do a sherry cask bourbon, which is more of an expression. So it's, uh, once we've fully matured the bourbon, we put it in a beautiful French oak, uh, uh, sherry cask has recently been dumped um, and then we sucked that beautiful uh, sherry out of the, the wood and then uh, secondly we get uh, the influence of French oak the French oak gives you a little bit more of a sort of dark spices uh, sorry dark fruits uh, spicier notes because French oak is very different it tends to be used for wine French oak is very different than American oak which tends to be used for whiskey um, so um, that's our bourbon and we have a, what's called a bottled and bond as well which is higher proof longer age then on our single malt whiskies again I want you to do expressions rather than big flavour changes because uh, there's enough between bourbons and single malts to have those flavour changes so we've got our flagship single malt whisky 100% malted barley uh, uh, pot stilled and then we have a higher proof uh, longer in the barrel uh, whiskey, which is called our bottle and bond. We've got a port cask finish. Again, going back to that, uh, recently emptied French oak, uh, uh, Portuguese port. And then we have got a peated single malt whiskey, which is very traditional in Scotland. 
we were one of the first, weren't the first, but we were one of the first to put peated malt in a new oak barrel. And it's more of an expression of, of, of peat rather than a, a peat bomb that a lot of people uh, decide whether they, they love peated single malt or hate pe- peated single malt. So that's, that's our line. That's our lineup, uh, as short as I can make it. <laughs> Alistair, I, you know, uh, you know, as Greg introduced me as Chef Jackson Lamb, I have taught in the hospitality industry for 30 years. And a lot of that, I've been teaching wine classes. I've been teaching spirit classes. So uh, I wanted to share with our audience, I love your idea about the sherry barrels being used for the bourbon. Mm-hmm. Glen Morangi, single malt scotch, they do that with a variety of, uh, of port, sherry, Madeira, and I can't remember the fourth, but uh, what a, and it really does impart great flavor coming out of that oak so congratulations on doing that and your product line is tremendous you've got a little bit of everything up there don't you yeah i i mean what the, the, the challenge is uh, a, a a whiskey lover as well you may you you may relate to this um a whiskey lover but also a businessman uh you tend to go down the, 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 the path that, that interests you the most. And yeah. uh, so our single malt whiskey, I wanted to do the sherry port. And you're right, Madeira, Guimaranji, phenomenal finished whiskies. And they excel in that. And I wanted to add that. But there is a level of, um, uh, how can I say it, education. And this is, this is a, a great way for me to sit and explain these things where there's so much in craft distilling that's different, unusual, and interesting that people really should, especially if they've got a lot of uh, local uh, craft distillers, go and check them out because they're going to they're going to find things there um, that are, are are nowhere else in the world. The big guys, the the the, the big beverage companies, don't do a lot of innovation, and they don't do a lot of innovation because they've got a brand. They do well with it, and why change something that's successful? So what you're finding in the craft industry here in Colorado and elsewhere is that people are playing with things that have never been played with before. We are not necessarily the first to do finished single malt whiskey, but we're one of the first. Um, and, and, and I'm just thinking of the list of other distilleries that are phenomenal, are doing really interesting, uh, interesting stuff. And I wanted to be subtle about everything. So it wasn't big flavor changes, it's subtle changes. So when I do t- tastings, we do a lot of tastings at the, the distillery up here in Boulder. There's a whiskey for everyone. It's not a case of I, I don't like that, I like that. It's I prefer this over that. Uh, and I, I love seeing that, that uh, those hearing those comments from people who I taste our whiskey out on. Very good. You know, what we really do find with consumers is most of them are creatures of habit. I'll take a Seagram 7 and 7, okay? I'll take a, I'll, I'll take a burb, I'll take a boule on the rocks, and it's the same one every time. My wife does the same thing with wine. She just doesn't switch from Chenin Blanc. So, um, but then there are those of us, like like the three of us here, that, oh, that was nice. Let's try something different, and let's try something different. I like how you also uh, mentioned how 
in Colorado, we're very innovative. We'll we'll experiment and 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 go in a, a direction that people haven't gone before, which I think makes Colorado what it is. Oh, I, very absolutely. Cool. You know, I think the the beer industry is at something like twelve percent. Uh, our craft beer and the spirits industries is about four percent, and we're in the same trajectory as as um, as the beer guys. But yeah, and that's what's really the the, the challenge for us is that you know whiskey's a, a lot more expensive, craft spirits a lot more expensive. So we spend a lot of our time uh, at, at events and festivals and various things to try and allow people to sample our spirits. So that then they feel comfortable in, uh, you know, a, be- a beer. You know, a lot of people if they get a beer that they don't particularly like, they just don't. Mo- they they won't buy it again. But you know, you're talking five, six dollars versus uh, a bottle of whiskey is a little more expensive. So all our craft distilling here is about giving a consumer the experience so that they understand what is available. And you know, we're all, you know, every restaurant's like that because you know, once, once, once you. You, you, you go to a, a great restaurant and enjoy the food there, you're going to go back. Hey, Lester, well, I so much it, enjoyed um, getting to know you personally when we were doing those food shows. We're standing there side mm-hmm. by side for two or three days at each show, and I got to know about your wife and your boys and just about your life and, and why you're doing what you're doing. But I really enjoyed also learning because I'm hearing you talk to people all day long that come up to our booth and a lot of them were super knowledgeable about um, the products that you make. And I got to hear stuff I never learned as a, you know, and I'm, I'm from the food production side, but I'm not from that side of the industry. And I don't know anything about spirits. So I so much enjoyed just listening to you explain, especially, I think it was in London that we were kind of in the gin market, a lot of gin drinkers in London. And I don't know a thing about gin uh, until I heard you. So maybe you could talk a little bit about gin and your gin and why it's unique and, and even how that all came about. Like where did gin come from? The history of gin. Oof. Yeah. Well, Gin is a very, I, you know, a very European uh, spirit, I, as is, you know, a lot of, uh, of you know, whiskeys and gins. Um, the Dutch, the French, the English, um, gins tend to be heavy juniper. By law, it has to be predominantly juniper. So that's that sort of uh, really sort of juniper flavor. I, I, I liken it to licking a Christmas tree. Uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly what I mean by that, but that's what my, my, my brain tells me. But, you know, you're talking, you know, two parts juniper, one part coriander, and it's really, really uh, popular in, in, in the UK. And, you know, during the British colonial times, uh, it was um, it was used uh, gin and uh, tonic water uh, for anti-malaria that's got the, 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 the botanicals in the, the, oh, what's it called? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, so it was very popular. And in the, the US, it wasn't as popular. And what's happened over the years is we were one of the first. So we, we started, before I even arrived here, we really, this distillery was really a gin company. And it was run by a chap called Ted Palmer. He was a gin freak. And, um, and when my whiskeys came online, I, he, reti- he retired. So, um, but he was all about uh, organic botanicals because he used to get really bad headaches if there was any level of pesticides in the botanicals. So it was all about organic botanicals, but also, and a lot of American gins have gone this way, lower that juniper. 
lower that juniper to just the legal requirement and then add a nice selection of other botanicals. So we've got 11 botanicals added on to our juniper. So low in juniper, and then you hit two major spots. You hit the citrus and you hit the floral. And that can be from, uh, you know, uh, hibiscus, orange root, chamomile, uh, tea, all sorts of um, uh, botanicals, just to give that, basically, to a symphony of flavors rather than uh, two-dimensional. And American distillers have really taken that on because, again, experimenting with, with that. Um, it's not mass market because, uh, you know, if you're doing 10 botanicals, the chances are one of them somebody's not going to like. Um, I don't like cardamom, for example. So any gins that have got cardamom in it, I'm not a big fan of. But I like citrus over floral. So our gins are really unique in that respect. And again, you know, people exploring gins t- through tasting, there is such a variety. But the one gin that we do, which is really one of our best products, is our barrel-aged gin. So what we do is we take our gin, standard gin, and we put it in a new oak barrel, number three char, the same way as you, you, just, you um, make a whiskey or you maturate a whiskey, you leave it in for two years. And what comes out is this, and we call it ginsky. <laughs> and it's not a combination. It's a bar- barrel-finished, pretty extreme two years. is pretty extreme. But what you get from that is you get distinctly gin, but a lot of the flavors you, you find in whiskey. And that flavors uh, in whiskey is more the barrel, so the oakiness, the, uh, the, uh, the sweetness of the, the, the sugars that come out of the oak. And uh, we don't, this sounds terrible, but we don't sell a huge amount of it. And what we find is we sell a lot in the liquor stores, but in bars and restaurants, we go into bars and restaurants and they'll say, they'll taste it. And the, 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 um, the buyer or the, the, the bartenders will go, this is one of the best drinks I've ever had, but I can't give a brown gin to my customers, but I'll take some bottles for myself because there's such a fantastic array of, Mm. of uh, cocktails that you can make from it. Wow, that sounds great. Thank you for explaining that. And we just have about a minute left. I'm sorry, we're already out of time, but maybe you could just uh, kind of close and tell our listeners where they can find your products. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. So we're, we're in Boulder. We, um, you can find all our products at our tasting room. We, can, we also do tastings and we do uh, tours that can be booked online. Mm-hmm. But most of our products are in the larger liquor stores uh, throughout Colorado. We are distributed in Colorado in about 10 states now. We're distributed in South Africa and also the UK. Um, But to find our products, go into the the large liquor stores um, that carry uh, craft spirits, and you'll find us. If not, ask for it, and the liquor stores are great in Colorado for pulling it in. Or give us a call, come into the distillery. We've got all the full range here. Great. Thanks so much for being on our show today. No, absolutely. You know, I can't, uh, I'll tell you, I can't wait to come up to Vapor Distillery and, and visit uh, the site up there. Uh, you've really given us a great education, Alice, there. Well, thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Food Chat. And this episode is brought to you by... 
Alistair at Vapor Distillery. And you can find out more about Vapor Distillery on their website at boulderspirits.com, just www.boulderspirits.com. I encourage you to check out their product line. And even if you're not a spirit drinker or connoisseur, it's great to have a bottle in your kitchen to make sauces with. Chef Jackson and I talk a lot about how to make uh, the sauces for beef and all kinds of roasts and steaks. So just uh, check out boulderspirits.com and support a local family company. Here's to the farmer, the plants, the fields, and the spring. The turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown. They got him on his feet with handshake money. Here's to the farmer's wife. And a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.